Frank. And I'm Jen, and we welcome you to our weekly podcast, The Horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. Well, I'd be remiss, Jen, if we didn't thank everybody who listened to our first episode, Haunted Houses. Turns out we really like to breathe. It, yes. Apparently, so? apparently we got a bit of a breathing problem. <laughs> we're just like really big fans of it. <laughs> so this episode, we're going to hold our breath for the whole it's entire just, episode. No, it's going to be one breath. It's just one breath. Remember? Yeah. Just one and done. That was the plan. Yes. We'll see how that goes. It's going to be great. It is. It's going to be fabulous. It's going to be f- super fun. It feels dizzying and, and just ready to move move forward. Who needs drugs? Who needs to breathe? It turns out everyone. I don't know. Neo from the Matrix, he didn't have to breathe. He was totes breathing. Okay. Everybody. Uh, everybody does. Yeah. What do we got on the uh, the docket today? So we are going to discuss ghosts. Ghosts? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm. Do we, uh, are we going to do maybe ghosts that have names Fickle? Chaser, ambusher, and stupid. I think you're describing Pac-Man? Yes, as they're known here as Inky, Blinky, Pinky, and Clyde. Clyde. Clyde's my favorite. Yeah, no, no, we're not talking about Pac-Man no. and his his uh his ghosts. We're talking about ghosts. Ghost ghosts. Ghost ghosts. Nice. Yes. Like the real McCoy. The real McCoy. All ten categories of them turns out. Really? Yeah. What kind of uh, what kind of categories you got there? Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. I started out with it is generally accepted that ghosts are either earthbound spirits or residual personal energy which lingers at a location which was significant to the individual or at the moment of their death. And then we get into the categories of ghosts. We have the unaware ghost, which is the ghost that's just going about their business and they're just going about their business. Is it maybe that they don't know they're a ghost? Um, I think we're kind of jumping the gun here. Um, but turns out ghosts, as we think we know it, may not actually be here mm-hmm. of this earthly plane. They could be mirrors from another dimension that's just overlapping with our present time, present place. Oh. That's where we get the the ghosts that are walking through walls and whatnot because their home was most likely set up different than the new existing structure. So that's how you see them going through the walls, you know, and, and walking through places where it doesn't logically make sense that Mm -hmm. they would be there, but it very much made sense in their time in their place. (laughs) And then we've got the denial ghost, and that's the ghost who refuses to believe they have passed away. 
Then we've got the attached ghosts, and this is a ghost that's either attached to an item or their home or the land, be that as it may. There's also the um, jealous ghost, the ghost that is jealous that their loved ones are able to move on mm. and live a life outside of them. A ghost that doesn't get the point. Ye- Essentially. Doesn't get the message. Yeah. And then we've got the fearful ghost, and that's the ghost that fears the other side. They fear that moving on, or they fear they... They have a transition problem. They're going to the bad place. Yeah. Then we've got the melancholy or sad ghost, and that's usually the ghost that died under, let's say, curious circumstances. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, could have been an accident. Bum rap. Essentially. Yeah. Could be. And then we've got the mission ghost. And the mission ghost is usually the one that's trying to prove, hey, yo, I was murdered. Can we fix this? Yeah. So that I can move on? Can you find my body already? That's like a Judge Judy ghost. Kind of. And then we've got the goodbye or comfort ghost. Mm. And that's, that's the ghost that visits their loved ones when they have passed away just to let them know, hey, I'm okay. Pats them on the back there. there. You're going to be okay. Exactly. Yeah. Then we've got the curious ghost who's like, hey, what are these people doing here? Yeah. This is cool. So that's like the Dory ghost. Casper. Casper. Yep. Yep. And then we've got the angry ghost, which for those of you who are familiar with Charmed and Supernatural, this is your classic vengeful spirit. Classic vengeful spirit. Yes. Which could also be an attached ghost attached to an item. Mm. Because if you've watched Supernatural, you know you got to find the item that the ghost is attached to. The doll or the book or the clock or... So... In researching this topic, mm. I came across what is the probably the oddest ghost story I've ever heard. I love a good, odd ghost story. <laughs> and this is the Greenbrier Ghost. January 1897, Mary Jane Hester of Greenbrier, West Virginia, was grieving the death of her daughter, Elva Zona Hester, who had died under mysterious circumstances that month at the age of 23. The official cause of death was recorded as complications resulting from childbirth, but Zona was not pregnant and had not delivered a baby, but she had delivered an illegitimate child two years earlier. Mm. So I don't think you can claim two years after the fact. It was a really complicated delivery. Yeah. Because, like, the kids live in. Yeah. L-I-V-I-N. <clears throat> so, Dr. Knapp, who was also the coroner, had been summoned to Zona's home on the night of her death. Her husband of three months, Edward Erasmus Shue, had moved Zona's body to an upstairs bedroom and had redressed her in her, it says, finest clothes, her Sunday's best. However... It was a high-necked dress mm. with a a shift collar, and he had a veil over her face. He was severely agitated, 
cradling his new bride's lifeless body in his arms and wailing melodramatically. He refused to allow the doctor to examine her closely, insisting he be left in peace to grieve. He claimed no knowledge of the circumstances leading to her death as her body had been discovered by a young boy whom her husband, Edward, had sent to the house on an errand. Her body was discovered downstairs and the boy had run for help. So so he sent the kid. Sent the kid to the house. To the house. To find her body. Yeah. He moves her body the kid? from the husband. Oh, okay. After the kid tells him she's dead, she's lying at the bottom. She was at the bottom of the stairs. Mm-hmm. And Edward came in. He bathed her. He dressed her. And he put her on an upstairs bed. And what's odd is that during that time, he wouldn't have done any of that. I don't think that's really done today. No, but at the time, the people that took care of the body Mm -hmm. would be like her mother. Yeah. Or it it would be women, essentially, would take care of that. So... Edward said she had succumbed to an everlasting fit. And if you can tell me what that is, that would be great because, I don't know. Dr. Knapp (laughs) caught a glimpse of the dead woman's face, which had a marked discoloration on the right cheek and on her neck, consistent with a blow or strangulation. At the wake, Edward would not allow any of the mourners to approach the casket and had covered the marks on her face with a scarf that he claimed was her favorite. Now, this is where it gets odd, strange, and creepy. Okay, because I'm, I'm already <laughs> feeling odd, strange, and creepy. I, I, what, what do you got? <laughs> so her mother removed a white sheet from the coffin just before... The burial before it was lowered into the ground and Mm -hmm. covered. Mary Jane, who was the mother, noticed an odd odor, which she thought was the embalming fluid. But the more she became familiar with the smell, she became convinced it was something else, that it wasn't embalming fluid. So she tried to rinse the sheet and the water turned to the color of blood. She removed some of the water with a jug. And the water in the jug was clear, but the water that the sheet was in was still the color of blood. The sheet was no longer white, but pink, like diluted blood. No matter how she scrubbed or how long she soaked the sheet, the blood stain remained. Mary Jane started praying. On four successive nights, Zona's spirit appeared to her mother and revealed how she had been Suffering at the hands of her abusive husband. On the night of January 22nd, he had flown into a rage when he learned he hadn't, that she hadn't cooked meat for their dinner. He beat her, broke her neck, and her apparition's head rotated to full 360 to convey to her mother that her neck was broken. Oh, okay. Mary so, Jane. So she wasn't just directly saying this. It was no, kind of a. She showed her. Well, she said the she said the words, you know, that he had beat her, the circumstances under it, and that her neck was broken. And to prove that her neck was broken to her mother, she rotated her head the full three sixty. 
And Mary Jane went to the office of the local prosecutor, John Alfred Preston, and demanded he question her son-in-law. But Preston couldn't order Edward's arrest on hearsay evidence, and certainly not evidence provided by a ghost. He did, however, agree to have Zona's body exhumed for autopsy. And when Edward learned they were exhuming his wife's body, it said he was distressed, but dude was pissed. Yeah, no, he's worried now. (laughs) Because, I mean, you think about it. You put yourself in that situation. You're clear. The body's in the ground. Things are moving forward. You know, yeah, just all set. Yeah, you're you're right. This is great. I did it. And And then he's waking up someday. And just somewhere along the line, someone walks by and they're like, look, we're, we're going to have to bring her up. We got this new evidence. And he's you like, know, he did the. Oh. <laughs> so the autopsy confirmed the real cause of death was strangulation, which was all the prosecutor needed to charge him. He was immediately arrested and he spent his days pacing up and down his tiny cell in the county jail. Further investigations revealed he had been married twice before. So wait, when was this again? 1897. 1897. And so they just, they found out that she was strangled. Yes. And that was enough. Well, yeah. To get him in prison. But there was no one that saw him do it. There was no one that. Hold on. Oh, there's more. Okay. You're so impatient. Well, I'm just (laughs) curious because he's in a cell. Yes. So further investigations revealed that he had been married twice before, one of which ended in divorce and the other with the accidental death of his second wife, who was killed by a blow to the head. Oh, she fell down the stairs. Wink, wink. Exactly. And Edward boasted to the inmates that he intended to tally seven marriages. And he was busy partners before he retired. This he, was his goal. He was busy. He's at technically three marriages, but he's counting two. Yeah. So he's got five more to go. <laughs> yeah. He's got plans. Yeah. And he was certain no jury would convict him as no one had seen him murder his wife. The judge had ruled the testimony pertaining to the ghost is inadmissible. So Edward and his attorney were both like, all right you know what, let's have some fun at the mother's expense. And they asked her, Edward's attorney asked her to repeat the ghost story as they felt it would discredit her in the eyes of the jury. She remained calm throughout the questioning and pressing both the jury and the judge. She assured the court that it was not her imagination. Her daughter told her she had been killed by having her life choked out of her and her neck squeezed off at the first vertebra. And that was the first time the precise cause of death had been mentioned during the proceedings. And it was subsequently confirmed by the physician who had written the autopsy report. Edward was convicted of murder, but avoided execution as the evidence was circumstantial and not on the word of an eyewitness. He died in prison on March 13th, 1900, as the only man to have been convicted of murder in the U.S. on the testimony of a ghost. What? (laughs) Yeah. 
Really? Really. Wow. I bet he did not see, see that, that coming. coming no. No. So that's the first ever and only, right? I'm going to assume it was the only. It, it says he's the only man to have been convicted of murder in the U.S. on the testimony of a ghost. So much for precedence. I mean, I kind of did set a precedence. Dude's the only guy. Well, yeah, but wow, what a bum break. Uh, here's a thought. I mean, maybe or, don't kill your wives. Oh, yeah, no. But then I, you like don't I have said, to worry about it. <laughs> I, I don't think anywhere in this guy's plan was the defense of a ghost. Yeah. Putting him around. Yeah. You know, he's probably like, I got this. I got this all cleaned up. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. I'm, I'm I in. think the, the big problem was that the ghost, quote unquote, said that he had squeezed off her breath at the first vertebra. Mm -hmm. And that was exactly where the. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. The cause of death was determined and written That's down nuts. in the autopsy report. Yeah. Talk about strange, weird, and creepy. Yeah. Like, no, that's, would it? That's talk good. about a mission ghost. Huh? Yeah. Huh? True. True. <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So, I know you've got some uh, history of ghosts. What you got? You got, can you beat that? No. No, I can't beat that. <laughs> you stole all my thunder. No, I just, um, you know, I do my typical uh, go back through time and, and look how things came around and came about. And I think what's interesting with ghosts and ghost stories is they haven't really changed. No. They're really the same. Yeah. Just since, a just just a different place. Since the pre-literary era, mm -hmm. you know, all through there, they're they're the same stories. They're the same. I mean, not like the same exact stories, but there's a lot of common themes that surround each story. Mm -hmm. So that's what I started digging into. You know, in the ancient world, in the ancient world being as early as kind of recorded, mm -hmm. the you know there was really no doubt that the soul of a human being survived bodily death. It's been a common idea mm -hmm. throughout time. Not saying that everybody believes it or everybody endorses it, but but it is an overly common theory throughout all cultures, whether it's a yes. like a tribe in Africa yep. or, you know, somewhere in Tokyo, Japan, to right. you know, any kind of culture and society, they have this general conception or a want that there's just not a doubt of a soul of a human human being surviving bodily death. And um, it's just, it's been brought up with the understanding that the dead live on in some other form. Right. So what I found interesting is that these other forms still require some sort of sustenance. Uh, an afterlife that provided the kind of life they had lived on Earth. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not this really like huge trans port of a different idea it's kind of the it's a transition phase mm -hmm. so to speak i think what really kind of uh you know what's what's big on how they kind of lived on earth was how their remains were disposed at death that seems to be a common variable mm -hmm. how they were remembered by the living that's a common variable 
and I just started looking at all this and the different cultures and and there was these these con these constants that a the realm existed yes the other one was it was governed by these immutable laws mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like time travel in a movie right it's not really kind of real but it's got these these rules and if you don't yes. follow these rules then yep. it's broken you know and uh the souls of the dead would remain there unless given license by the gods or force or entity of whatever's kind of keeping the balance to return to the land of the living for some specific reason. Right. So these ones that are coming through are the reasons, you know, and this was the different types of ghosts we were talking about earlier, right. the jealous ghost, the misunderstood ghost, you know, the, yeah. all these uh, scenarios. And uh, a lot of these reasons included improper funeral rites. Yep. You know, the burial. Um, another one was a, a, just a lack of any kind of burial say a death that occurred where the body was not recovered or found. Mm -hmm. And um, also a death that had a failure to resolve any kind of unfinished business. Right. These all, all these cultures have this, this, uh, this overlying theme. Yes. And I kind of generally saw it as a basic, I, I try to wad everything up into a little box, any kind of failure to rest in peace. Right. And that really creates this this whole dynamic slash circumstance. Yeah, this transition mm-hmm. of an afterlife of some kind. So witnessing a ghost then was actually rarely considered a welcome experience. Right. Which I found interesting. You right. Because ghosts are a little kind of different today. You know, it's some are very weird because there are some cultures who regardless of the time not only believe in ghosts but embrace it mm-hmm. and it's very much a part of their culture and then there are others where the ghost nope it's just a great big nope yeah regardless of when and or how they appear it's like no no yeah and, not and that's, today, ghost. And that's not where, today. you know, like witnessing a ghost there was, you know, it wasn't considered a welcome experience. The dead were supposed to remain in their own space. Yep. And they weren't expected to cross back over to the world of the living. And if it did happen, it was a sign that something was terribly wrong. Yes. And anyone who experienced the encounter were expected to take care of the problem in order for the ghost to return to its proper place. Right. And this is really this theme that kind of goes around. And I read into the different areas and, you know, it's just something that I couldn't dive deeper and deeper with because I'd just be stuck in like the Mesopotamian era for two days. You well, know, I mean, here's the I thing. Get, but if there's enough information, we oh, yeah. can do. And there is. There's tons of stories. We can do there's, the deep dives. There's tons of stories. Each each one, if exactly. you will. Yep. And the... This understanding of this whole concept was so prevalent that it, you could track all these ghost stories and ghost instances instances that are found with these similar similar themes in ancient cultures of Mesopotamia, Egypt, Greece, Rome, China, and India, as well as regions of Mesoamerica and the Celtic lands of Ireland and Scotland. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of these areas depict the afterlife as a dark and terrible place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a little different later on 
where it started to become possibly positive, but most of it's a... Well, a, Dante's a, Purgatorio. Yeah, yeah, pretty much set the tone for it's that. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, what's also fascinating is, is uh, ghosts are also depicted in the Bible in much mm-hmm. the same way as they were in early Roman works. So you even had the, the Roman era, mm-hmm. and they had these stories... The Bible, which was kind of a, a set of different and newer ideas at the time, but still had this common fabric of how ghosts were handled mm-hmm. or this afterlife was handled. And that brought me to, um, you know, just seeing these stories involving in haunted regions, houses, cities. There doesn't seem to be any kind of specific spot where it goes. It's all over. What I also found was is that there are also these instances in cities where ghosts have been present for centuries. Mm-hmm. And for someone like me, that's that's crazy to wrap my head around that, you know, that's where I start getting into the, the minutia of how this all works on the different layers, which I'll get into later. Did you know there's yeah. an island off the coast of Italy that you're not allowed to go to because it belongs to the ghosts really yes interesting very interesting so you just can't go there no no and um what happens if you try do you know or is well, that something we got to look into it, it's it's something i would like to look into but from what i've heard um you can request to go onto the island and like 99% of the time, you're told no. There are people who do go out to the island. Well, and their stories about what happens when they're on that island are not good. Really? Yeah. Like, they don't want to be there after dark. Being there during the day is, is enough? bad enough. Wow. Yeah. And what's worse is if they get stranded... And then they have to call for help because now they're on an island that they're not supposed to be on and they have to get the help from it's usually like they don't have a Coast Guard, but it it's similar. Yeah, it would yeah. be like their version of the Coast Guard coming out to get the people that and they tap out. Uh, yeah, that and. And then it's. Well, you're not supposed to be here anyway. Well, we're going to have to check that out. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So what do you got over there? Okay, so leading up to the turn of the century, late 1800s into the early 1900s, found the rise of spiritualism. And because of this rise in spiritualism, it led to the formation of the Society of Psychical Research, The society's chief researcher was Dr. Eric John Dingwall, who lived from 1890 to 1986. He devoted 60 years to studying the paranormal, and he remained unconvinced of spirit photography, but he was a firm believer in ghosts and other paranormal phenomena. In a letter to a parapsychologist, Dingwall stated, We know practically nothing about the real, quote unquote, nature of the material world in which we live. The more we peer into our surroundings, the most indefinite becomes the boundary and the investigation of the relationship between matter and what you call the spirit is only just the beginning. 
The scrap heap of science is high with discarded theories derived from insufficient experimentation. So, the SPR was an informal collective of intellectuals and the restlessly inquisitive, and their stated aim was to investigate all forms of paranormal phenomena in a strictly scientific manner and settle the matter once and for all. It included skeptics as well as believers. Included in their ranks were two future prime ministers, Arthur Balfour and William Gladstone, the poet Alfred Lord Tennyson, novelist Mark Twain, intellectual and critic John Ruskin, and academic Charles Dodgson, who is better known as Lewis Carroll. They investigated more than 700 paranormal incidents from telepathy to out-of-body experiences, which they compiled in an exhaustive 2,000-page study published in several volumes as Phantasms of the Living in 1886. Myers concluded, instead of describing a ghost as a dead person permitted to communicate with the living, let us define it as a manifestation of persistent personal energy. It was Meyer's belief that phantoms were not physical in the sense that they were solid, but occupied a physical space in a fourth dimension, which is where we get into that overlay, where they're just living their life in this other dimension that sometimes overlays or something happens like the veil between the two mm -hmm. allows us to view into that fourth dimension. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the SBR was scrupulous in their methods and in an effort to satisfy the most hostile critics who were within their own ranks, they subjected every case to the degree of scrutiny usually reserved for the natural sciences. Several of their members were distinguished physicists and they guarded their reputations as staunchly as the clergy protected the sanctity of the church. They were not interested simply in collecting ghost stories in the manner that amateur historians collected folklore. They were in search of incontrovertible evidence, and that meant securing the written testimony of as many witnesses as possible. Hmm. So Professor James Hislop, who was disliked by his fellow SBR members for his entrenched cynicisms felt compelled to urge other skeptics to admit defeat. Regard the existence of discarnate spirits as scientifically proved, and I no longer refer to the skeptics as having any right to speak on the subject. Any man who does not accept the existence of discarnate spirits and the proof of it is either ignorant or a moral coward. Nevertheless, the scientific establishment was unimpressed, and it was not that they did not accept the evidence, but rather that they lost interest in the phenomena, since apparitions and apports did not add to their understanding of the inner workings of nature. So it didn't matter that they had all this evidence. It didn't bring them any clarity. Mm -hmm. So they were like, eh, we're just going to move on to the next thing. Hmm. So the phenomena in themselves tell us nothing about the nature of the universe or human potential. In the end, a person either believes in ghosts or they don't. True. And that's really the the big part of it, is mm -hmm. you either believe in this and you, or you don't. Mm -hmm. I think for me, 
again, it's like kind of most things. I think it's halfway. I think the the group that can support that it exists can come up with some pretty incredible credible evidence. I think personally, people that talk about their homes being haunted mm-hmm. and you have phones now mm-hmm. need to get on that. Yeah. Start because I'm going to declare like I do on every episode. I'm the skeptic. Yeah. You know, you guys need proof. Well, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Like proof of life. You guys need that proof of life to prove that it exists. You know, for someone like me that hasn't gone through any of it. Yeah. And things that I have gone through, I can kind of rationalize in a different direction. Right. And here's the thing is that rationalization is backed by science. Right. Science can prove it. Right. And they can't just, it's not just prove it once. They can prove it over and Mm -hmm. over and over again. And that's the big problem, I think, with ghosts. Yes. That's the big the big issue, the stumbling block. I think we're at a weird part in our time right now mm-hmm. as a as a as a species to where I think we can start to dive into some of this stuff. And, you know, neurologists can come up with some things and psychologists have these these theories and right. and, and approaches to things that really have a lot of merit. They have a um you know, because what's what's interesting about this, I think, with modern day is that there's so many who are interested in the subject of ghosts, mm-hmm. but the belief is not encouraged culturally. No, it's not. Where it's, before it, it was. was. Yeah. I um I watched, I think it was the new Unsolved Mysteries. They had a story on the tsunami in Japan. Yeah. And in Japan, they very much do believe in ghosts. It's yeah. very much a part of their it's culture. It's a big part of their culture. Yeah. So when the ghosts of the victims from the tsunami started to show up, they didn't question it. Yeah. Their their biggest concern was um, those that were sensitive were going to their religious leader. And they're like, you got to help me out because I can't. I can't sleep. I can't do anything because they were just inundated by these spirits who are really uh, most of them didn't even know they had passed. So they just really needed that help to cross over. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest stories were the taxi drivers. They would pick people up. They would take them to wherever they said to take them. And when they got to the destination, they were gone. Yeah, and that's just like the meters crazy... were running the whole time. Yeah. So what these what these taxi drivers did was they paid those fares. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's really crazy. Yeah. There's that story you were talking about with the person that heard the noise in the house. And there was the people screaming in the house. And that person ran in. Was it you that was telling me that story? Where where they ran in the house and like the house was on fire. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. What's that story? Uh, that was um, it. It's a haunted road, and there are a couple of incidences that happened on this road. And in that particular story, and shout out to the Scared to Death podcast because that's where that's oh, where okay. I heard it. Um, and I believe it was a listener sent in the story maybe yeah i could be confusing it 
It's either the one that Dan did or the one that Lindsay did. Yeah. And um, the it was a husband and wife and their child, and they were in the car, and they were on this particular stretch of highway. I say highway. It's probably not even a highway. It's probably just like a rural road. And the woman was on the line with 911 saying there was a woman walking around. She was dirty and scantily clad. She didn't have a coat on or anything like she was just in her her clothes and she looked very ragged and haggard. So her husband got out of the car to try and help her. And you can and the the wife is heard telling her husband, you know, don't get out of the car. And then they tell the 911 operator where they are on this particular stretch of road. So they they 911 dispatches an an officer to the scene. And on his way there, he's having difficulties like he's losing the audio and he's he's having issues with his his radio and at one point while he's fiddling with his instrumentation he hits something in the road and he's thinking that's it i'm done i'm not a cop anymore mm-hmm. i just killed the guy so he stops his car he gets out he's looking there's nothing there There's nothing on the side of the road. There's nothing in the road. There's no sign of blood. There's not even a sign of like his tire marks. Mm -hmm. There's nothing. So he's like, okay, you know, maybe I just ran over a stone or something. Got back in his car. He was still kind of like semi fiddling with his instrumentation. And then and then he comes upon a car and the car's on the side of the road. and. There's no driver, no passenger, but there is a child in the baby seat in the back and the windows are cracked open. Child has, you know, their their clothes on and their their, their husband and wife's whole point for being out on that stretch of road was they were just trying to get their kid to sleep. Yeah. Took him out for a ride. So he is standing there. Looking at the kid thinking, you know, he's he's calling out the names of the husband and wife that are supposed to be associated with this particular car, and he's not getting a response. So he's thinking to himself, I'm going to have to break into this car to get this kid so that I can at least get this kid to safety when he hears a scream. Yeah. And then he has to make a decision. What does he do? Kid's okay. Kids in the car, nothing's going to get to the kid, but that scream from that woman, she's not going to be okay. Yeah. So he heads up the drive and there's a house. He gets inside the house and the woman and her husband are inside this house. And there's this woman, I guess they called her a witch. Of course they did. It's always a witch, whatever. And there's a baby on like an altar in the middle of this room. And the baby is crying and the woman is screaming and the witch is saying, burn, burn. And then the curtains inside the house catch fire. 
at this point, the cop's like, we got to get out of here. So he grabs the kid off the table and they're trying to get out and the door's locked. So he's like, not today. He is saying specifically. It's the kid. The kid, the father, the mother, him, and then the witch. And the father and the mother are the ones with the car? They were the ones from the car. Okay. The kid was from the car. He left that kid in the car. But that kid was in that house on that altar where the witch was saying, burn. Weird. Yeah. So he grabs all of them and he's pushing against the, like he's trying to pushing himself into the door, trying to break out and it gives. So he throws himself into it again and it breaks out and they all get out of the house Mm -hmm. and the house is fully involved when they are, when they actually get out. So then they're going, holy cow. And he's thinking, how did that child get in there? I left. The kid was in the car. Yeah. And they look back and it was it was like the ruins of the house, meaning, yeah, it had burned. But like years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of years ago. And it was just the shell. That's so weird. So the cop is thinking, I got these people out. He's like, I was there. I broke them out. How many people didn't have someone there to break them out? That's weird. So how many people died in this quote unquote phantom fire? And there's no way you would know. Who says they die, though? It's just a weird thing. I mean, it could be like the murder house. If you die there, your spirit is stuck. But it goes. This is where this is where the loaded questions come into play. Does somebody really die in that house? Do they go in some other dimension like you were talking about earlier? Yeah, that fourth dimension. Or is there something there that just fucks people up and messes with their brain? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's that's plausible. Yeah. That that gets to what I was looking at, where the overwhelming consensus of science is, is that there's just no proof that ghosts exist. They even say ghost hunting's been classified pseudoscience. Yeah. It's hard to prove. It's well, really, really hard to prove because you can't prove it over and over and over again. That's what science likes. Exactly. Science likes over and over and over, you know, do it with repetition. Correct. Know? They and need to be problem. able to replicate the results. That's the problem with fans of this supernatural, not fans, but, you know, witnesses to these accounts and things like that. They can't repeat the same thing over and over again. Right. You know, it's like that uh, that moment you're walking in the woods and you see that you know, bald eagle fly by. It's mm-hmm. like the most beautiful thing you ever seen. It's a once in a lifetime. It's a once in a lifetime moment, probably. Yeah. Where you probably never see something like that again. You know, or somebody seeing like a snow leopard or something like that. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, very secluded animals. It's, it's like Bigfoot. You know, it's the same thing. You've got these people and like with Bigfoot, I, you know, I think those people saw something. Yes. I don't know what. But I don't think they know what. Well, and that's the thing. It's just easy to say. Yeah. Or easier to say, eh, it's Bigfoot. Yeah. You know, but I but I know they saw something, you know, or heard something or or was affected by something. And science isn't very compelling with the whole Bigfoot thing. No. But with ghosts, they are. That's what I found interesting about digging into this. Yeah. You know. And I'm not here to disprove ghosts and I'm not here to but 
I am of the thing where I think this is a 50-50 split. Mm-hmm. As much as science can prove this stuff, I I imagine people saw things and they and sometimes you can't fit it all in a neat box. Right. There might be something like a like another dimension that crosses over. Mm-hmm. Uh there might be just exactly what it is, this transition to mm-hmm. another spot, a realm. Right. You know, and and there's unfinished business or there's all this other stuff. Right. I, I think it it really could boil down to that. I think, you know, looking at it, these are kind of the high level reasons why science believes people see ghosts. And I think the first one's really compelling because I this is just like me to the core. You want to believe. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. It's visualization. You know, it's visualization and just having something in your mind. You know, the the human mind more than anything, it's highly suggestible. Yes. The mind is very suggestible. And I think we've evolved to take cues from the outside world to escape threats, like an animal chasing us. So like a well-placed hint can make us see things that aren't there. Right. So in the 1990s, psychologists at the University of Illinois at Springfield gave uh, the same tour of the century-old long-closed Lincoln Square Theater to two groups of people. Mm -hmm. And they telling only one cohort that they were investigating a haunting. And sure enough, the visitors who were informed of the excursion specifics were far more likely to report intense emotions and strange occurrences. Yes. This mental quirk is so powerful that it can deceive us even in real time. So they had this one group that they just basically walked through and just said, hey, we're going to walk through this old abandoned theater. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to check it out. And then they had this other group where they were suggesting these haunting type situations right. and all that just to drum the emotion up. And they said it was noticeable in, group, in the haunted group, in the haunted yeah. group that they were actually feeling and seeing things mm-hmm. and it was happening in real time. Mm-hmm. And to me, that just like, I just love that highly suggestible stuff. You know, I, it, you know, it just, it really gets me excited about stuff like that. Cause I think people don't really, the ghosts, I, I appreciate seeing ghosts, witnessing ghosts, wit- witnessing these events. But I also think people need to realize what our minds can really do to us. Right. And I think that's where the thin line comes into play. I know if I had something happen to me, I would be in that group that would be like, I saw that, witnessed it. Yeah. It's and, real. And it's real. It's yep. real to me. And, and here's the big thing. And this is where I believe the people that say, I don't care what you think. Yeah. Like when I hear that, that that's a belief that like secures in me that, yeah, you did see something. You're, right. You witnessed something. Yeah. But it still could be a number of things that right. just don't add up to something like that. But the convictions there, you know, and I'm just that conviction person. I, yeah. You know, conviction just gets me. It makes the hair stand up on my arms. Another study conducted by uh, Goldsmith's uh, French, participants were more likely to report witnessing a key bending of its own accord if someone standing next to them mentioned they had seen the eerie incident happen too. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, again, this is just like someone mentioning something and the power of thought. Power of suggestion. The power of suggestion making something happen and these are in controlled groups where they yeah. did this and and it was it's relevant 
So, you know, one, you want to believe. Two, I found equally as I started looking into this, me being out in the woods, Mm -hmm. hiking a lot, camping a lot. Number two, you'd rather not risk it. And when I first read that term, you'd rather not risk it. I was like, well, I don't really, I need to read more on this and see what's going on with this. And basically, this surrounds the idea of unfamiliar and threatening environments kicking your survival instincts up a notch. Yes. And so basically, you know, psychologists proposition this idea. If you're walking in the woods and you see or hear movement, you can make two errors. And I'm a firm believer of these two errors. Mm -hmm. You can either think it's nothing and it can be a potential predator. Right. Or you can think there's a predator and there's There's nothing. nothing. Mm -hmm. And it's been suspected by psychologists that humans evolved a cognitive bias towards that later error, that latter error. Yeah. Of, you know... It could be a predator, but there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And and you really look at the the guts of that. That's a better safe than sorry attitude. Yeah. And that's like humans at their core. Yes, our mantra. Well, yeah. And what it does is that attitude alone increases the likelihood to survive and reproduce. Yeah. If you had the other way, you'd be taking risks all over the place and you'd be super risky and you'd live to 12. And you, yeah, at best, you know, 12 <laughs> yeah. would be the height of, uh, you know, that'd be the old wise, Ooh. the old wise man or woman, yeah. you know, in the, in the town square at age 12. So you really start looking at that and, and, and it makes, it makes sense. That attitude increases your, your survivalhood, your, you know, your likelihood of reproducing. This can also cause us to sense the presence of another, even when we're alone. Just this attitude yeah. of thinking something's there. And that's why, like, when you're walking in the dark and a snapping twig just instantly lights up that fight or flight, yeah, you know, sequence of events, you know, those, those reflexes. <laughs> yeah, you know, and in ghost tours and haunted houses, which if you're into haunted houses, I'll do the shameless plug of checking out our episode one episode one haunted houses. Where we go into a bit of this, but but basically these ghost tours and haunted houses, they capitalize on this like hereditary paranoia we have. Right. You know, and um and your mind is forced to wrestle with ambigu ambiguity. Yeah. You know, that's just the core of a human being. Is it? Was it? Yeah, was it? You know, well, just in case, you know, and and that yeah. creates that level of risk assessment mm-hmm. that keeps you alive every day. Some go overboard on it. That's called paranoia. Right. Where you're afraid of everything. You know, I'm afraid of going outside the door because I might. Who knows what's outside that door? I might poop my pants, you know, or something like that. I'm I'm not speaking of personal, you know, paranoia. but (laughs) But, you know, a great haunted house encourages you to wonder if you might have just seen something out of the corner of your eye. Right. You know, like, that's the big thing. Like when we're in Salem and we're going through those museums, yeah. there's always somebody in your periphery. Yeah. Sitting in one of those little alcoves that they've got in their little. Yeah. Tour of the in the but, path. But you notice that when you go into these Halloween, you know, towns and villages that we go into where you go into a haunted house and, you know, if they were to just shove a ghost right in your face, I mean, it's scary. 
But what's really twisted is the the forced air. Yeah. And and the idea of something in the corner and you look and you're like, I, I could have swore something, something was, was there. over there. Yep. And that creates this environment, you know, and that's where again, science is able to kind of reproduce this, not only just in science, but just like haunted houses are a great example of how they can manipulate this. I don't want to call it a flaw, but again, like you said, it's just the mind is forced to wrestle with ambiguity. You know, it just wrestles yeah. back and forth with it. Sometimes you see something out of the corner of your eye and you're like, yeah, no, I'm all right about that. And I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, there's other times you see things out of the corner of your eye and you're scared, right. you know, and, and you're vulnerable. And mm -hmm. that's the big word there, vulnerable. And, you know, humans tend to think of places that are safe when they offer generally two things, prospect and refuge. Prospect is a clear view of the outside world where you can just, you got a clear view of everything. You can see everything. Yeah. And, and you're, you have a on-court awareness of what's going on. Refuge is the opportunity to hide from danger. Right. So refuge is something where, you know, all right, I can see everything. Right. But I see this rock over here. And if something was to go crazy, I could hide behind that rock. And you're not consciously saying that, but your mind's evaluating all that. Mm -hmm. Because if you saw, say, a bear walking out in a field that you once felt comfortable with, you could hide behind the rock that you see. Right. And you also see behind the rock that there's no danger. Right. Because everything's clear. Everything's sunny. Everything's beautiful. A poorly lit old house gives you neither of those accommodations. Correct. So now you're unable to see what's around the corner and all of these shadows contain no opportunity to hide from danger. Because of, you know, malicious entities, you know, they lurk in the shadows, you know. Yeah. And you see something in the shadows, you don't want to run to that. No. You know, you want to so get away from that you shadow. You want to get away from that because you don't know what's in there. Exactly. You know, and this gets right to the core of human behavior mm -hmm. and how humans act. And again, this is where, where science just kind of, I get where their stance is. It's like, we have this mountain of stuff, you know. Yeah. And, and we have all of these things that we can recreate over and over and over again. We don't even have to recreate it. There's private haunted houses and things that they are, do it for us, do it yeah. for us, you know, and you pay for it to get that experience. Right. You know, and, and then there were some other ones that were, were interesting because it got kind of into like the, the softer side of ghosts, I hate to say, <laughs> but you know, another, instance was a little company doesn't hurt anyone and this kind of goes with coping with trauma and yes. like the pain of a loss a loved one and this kind of grabbed me in a way because you know nothing it's nothing different they they gave this example and it just was profound to me nothing uh it's nothing different than an amputee with a phantom limb mm -hmm. and i just made that quick connection of like yeah you know, that's someone who has their, their leg missing or their arm missing and they can still, still feel, feel it. Yep. that arm when they close their eyes and they can feel their hands opening and closing yep. or their toes clenching and or stuff like itch. that. Or an itch. Yeah, yeah, itch, you know, phantom itch, you know, that type of stuff. It's no different than losing a loved one and wanting to see them again mm -hmm. and have that safety of what you used to be versus going into a different dimension, let's say, yes. of your own life. 
And I really think that's how my mind works. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're going to hop into that shithouse rat crazy cage, you know. I don't know if we want to know I, what's in your mind, Frank. No, no. But but that's how I look at it. Is sometimes you have to go through that dimension of life without a loved one or right. life without someone that's close to you. So you're going to do what you need to do. It's to a coping cope. And it's, to move on. It's a coping mechanism. And I think that's where that's where I don't like the idea. Like I've always hated that that position of people, you know, when they say, Oh, well, you know, that guy still sees his dead wife. Poor bastard. You know, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. You know I bet that brings him a lot of it comfort. It brings him a lot of comfort, brings him a lot of joy. Yeah. You know, and and it helps him get through his day. Even if it's know? just to remember the good times. Exactly. Yep. You know, or or if he's having a hard time and that's what it takes to get through that through hard that hard time, time. Mm-hmm. is to force this connection to cope. Mm-hmm. I don't see something wrong with that. No. You know, and and that that was a, an interesting thing to, you know, go with that. And the funny part of it or the interesting part of it was, you know, these encounters right there the the little company doesn't hurt anyone type of theory are actually the most common kinds of paranormal experience affecting skeptics and believers alike so it's the most common and it affects both Mm -hmm. which is very interesting and i think it goes into that whole thing of what your mind is capable of you know whether you're you're into it or not the other option was a no-brainer your brain's not well (laughs) you know there's something you know, either uh, Alzheimer's or schizophrenia or something like that, you know, and then that's where you also got to question the nature of that. Is that just something different in its own right? These are the unknowns of neuroscience, you know, some of them are known with it because they can actually tweak certain parts of the brain and recreate. Again, I was just fascinated by, by looking at all this, where they started getting into this was vibrations. And this is kind of an old concept where, if you go under like 20 hertz, um, which is what the normal ear can't hear, the body actually goes through these crazy side effects. Yeah. And uh, and it's pretty crazy. You uh, actually get um, really just these insidious side effects. You, you can, um, your organs start causing to shake. You get hyperventilation. Mm-hmm. And then from there, what you have is stress. And stress just does crazy stuff to you, Mm -hmm. you know, and it just puts you in a very vulnerable, awkward spot. Some get physically ill, some people hallucinate, and this is all just off of vibrations. They did that on, um, it was either a paranormal investigator. It was like one of those shows and they had a house where they played the, it was like a big sound system to do the vibrations mm-hmm. under the 20 hertz yeah, to see if the people who were quote unquote touring would have any sort of reaction. And overwhelmingly the people are like, yeah, I don't want to hang out in that house. Yeah. You know who actually did that was Mythbusters. Yeah. Mythbusters did it. And they, yeah, I can't remember the exact part of the episode, but I remember they did it and they were saying that, yeah, people just kind of had like, yeah, this room just doesn't feel right. Yeah. You know, and that's, uh, that's pretty interesting to me. And then there's kind of the old, uh, you know, your mind is playing tricks on itself. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's how scientists kind of, you know, that's the other bucket they place this stuff into. And, you know, neurologists have identified potential basis for the feeling that someone or something is haunting us. Seizures actually in the temporal lobe 
that's the area of your brain processing visual memories and spoken language. And they say that might trigger ghost sightings, just a seizure in that. And what was really weird about it was electrical disturbances in this brain area could make you feel connected to other realms. Mm -hmm. And the uh, crazy part was is patients who have a history of these types of problems are more likely to report paranormal beliefs. They have this commonality. And, uh, and furthermore, the supernatural experiences tend to cluster between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. 3 a.m. is the devil's hour. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, it's weird how it all kind of connects around. And, uh, and some studies suggest this is when these seizures occur most often. I kind of, with my sleep history and things that I've been working on in my sleep, that's your real kind of prime sleeping hour for most people. And that's when your brain's trying to repair itself. Mm-hmm. That's when your brain is going through kind of a, a... So are they saying all of my experiences were seizures? Uh-uh. What they're saying is, is that people that are susceptible to these seizures experience these more than a normal group of people. You know, so if they had a sample of right. just 50 people that didn't have this type of seizure. The ones that had the experiences were more likely to have the those 50 seizures. with the seizures were more likely to to experience these these type of episodes. In 2014, uh, a study with uh, Swiss neuroscientists, they blindfolded a group of participants, then hooked up their hands to a machine that tracked finger movement. When the subjects moved their arms, a robotic appendage behind them simultaneously touched their backs in the same fashion. And that wasn't really much of a problem. But when the investigators delayed the mimicking movements of the animatronic device by just even a few milliseconds, several people reported sensing an intelligent presence behind them, as if a spirit were poking them in the back. The researchers think the stalled movements wreaked havoc on how the brain times incoming signals and the uh, it's a front frontoperitial cortex. And this controls inbound sensory and motor cues. Later imaging on, um, folks who reported sensing paranormal shadows in the past found many had lesions in that same exact area of gray matter affecting its normal functioning in this type of, mm-hmm. you know, delayed response. And... Uh, they kind of form this hypothesis of this feeling of a presence phenomenon has more general implications for the hard to study field of the paranormal too. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for them in even science, but it's just yeah, making it's this just leap. Hard. It's so know, again, we're closing back this up, to it's hard, and so you like, either believe or you don't. So you know, even if a tiny movement delay is enough to conjure up spirits, perhaps our brains are predisposed at some deep level. To imagine ghosts are walking among us, we might grow up, but these feelings never go away. And that was a crazy part, too. It's like, you, you get older, and these feelings are still there to one level or another. And right. it kind of just gets back to what, you know, we were talking about where it's just like, this stuff just hasn't changed at all. No, I think if anything, um, there are certain periods or there are certain times when it actually heightens like you you have these um it's like an ebb and flow there are times where you've just got this overwhelming abundance of stories 
and circumstances and incidences and occurrences. And then there's this drought of nothing for years or decades. And then all of a sudden, yeah, it starts again. And then you hear these crazy things where there's these certain areas where there's a high amount of carbon monoxide. Or, oh, absolutely. You know, like the yeast, you know, that they talk about with the Salem witch trials and right, the that, ergot. that mm-hmm. level of madness that was kind of mm-hmm. occurring. And, you know, I personally, I think that's what a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm not too tinfoil head on this, but I think that's a lot with, uh, like the electronic devices that are out now. Right. I think there's something in the air that is not helping us. Right. I don't know what it is, you know, because I, you know, I'm not going to be the one to be so bold and say, well, that's why we got all this depression and that's why we got all the, you know, but I just don't like, I look at the electronic devices and I mean, we're, we're so deep in them and they're so helpful and they're so great in a lot of ways. Are they? But, no, I mean, yeah, that's where I'm kind of leading to yeah. though is, are they, Yeah. you know, are, are they hurting us more than then they're helping us. And in certain areas, you know, where people talk about, say, like social media or they talk right. these different areas, that's those discussions. But I'm not even getting on that level. I'm just getting at, like, does this make some sort of impact just by being on and I'm near it? Or even just staring at the light, you know, right. when we start talking about, like, these my, you know, these vibrations under 20 hertz. Yeah. And they have that effect. Are we going to find out 50, 60 years from now, they're going to be like, oh, man, you know, those tablets that everybody's using, those, you know, like first generation tablets. Yeah. Yeah. They were no good. Whoops. Oopsie. Sorry. You know. <laughs> Our bad. You know, and and I wonder that type of stuff, you know, right. and that's that's where, like I said, I for for someone, even someone like yourself, when you tell me situations that you have, you had that conviction to you and you have that, you know. You don't care if anyone believes it. It's your, it's yeah. your, your instance, and you know, it's your, it's your, your, your peace in life where that happened. Right. And and again, like I say, it's the thing you see it with the Bigfoot sighting and things like that, where where people just are, yeah, I saw that, and I right. don't even care what you think. And I think that's enough for them, and I'm glad for that. I just. For someone like me, I've never experienced anything like that. I've never experienced anything of that situation. And, right. Well, and for me, for me, I would need that experience to come over in order to, that to believe, side, yeah, to fully believe and buy into it. Well, but, they say that in order to increase the likelihood, or at least present the conditions under which you could experience it, you have to be open to it. And if you're shut off to it and it's not anything remotely on your radar and you're not going to be open to it, just like they say that children and um, animals like dogs and cats. And that's where I wonder. So this is where I wanted you to bring up the story of the guy, the cop that pulls over by the car. Mm hmm. And this is where I really do look at the whole idea of you want to believe. You know, what you're saying is is you have to be open to it. If Mm -hmm. you're not open to it, you won't see it. Mm -hmm. And to me, when you're talking to someone like me, that's saying you want to believe that. So you're already creating the construct of it being. So this is where I'm getting at. If someone like me was next to that cop, what would have... 
what would have I seen? What, what would, would you have seen? Yeah, what would have I, I have seen? And the, those are the questions that, of course, never can be answered. No. But I'm curious to that. Well, stuff. I mean, would, would I have seen a baby in the car or a kid in the car? Right. And would I heard the woman screaming? Or would I have just seen this guy at an empty car? Just standing acting, by an empty car, acting like a fucking lunatic. Mm-hmm. You know, what interests me with that story and this is the reoccurring theme that everybody's going to hear with me. I love when I hear multiple people right. witnessing the same thing. So like when they all walked out of that house and they all turned back and they saw that old house that was just sitting there. Yeah. And it had was, burned many, many years ago. Yeah. No yeah. smoldering. Yeah. You know, pieces of no wood smoke, or no, no smoke. No, yeah. no even smell. Not even yep. a smell of smoke. That stuff gets me. Yeah, that's the stuff that I sit there and and that's what even me not even being a witness of anything like that. Again, I will always value the event, you know, and I, I will always be supportive of the event mm-hmm. and I will trust the person that looks in that. It's like, yeah, all right. You saw that. Yeah, you were a part of that. I'm not going to jump that you're crazy. Wait till we do the episode yeah. on New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. And, and they yeah. got a ton of stuff. There. Yeah. And. And that's where, you know, but those are the stories. Like if I hear the one, you know, the one person account thing, mm-hmm. I'm in it. I'm listening to it. It's cool. But it doesn't carry as much but weight it doesn't or carry merit as, much as yeah. several people in the same room experiencing the same thing. And that's how human beings are. Yeah. You know, if a guy gets but, murdered in the okay. street and he. I'm going to say this. Getting back to your scientific point, if you've got 20 people in a room and one person suggests, yo, man, you see that dude standing there? All 20 of those people, odds are, are going to say, hey, you know, yeah, I see the dude standing there. No, and that's where I'm going to be, again, of questioning of power suggestion. Mm -hmm. That's where, like, the house thing is different. Like, they were already in the house. Yep. And he ran up to the house. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and then you got to ask yourself, like, were those people even real? Yeah. You know, which I don't know how that story ended. I don't know yeah, if the people the, were real or whatever. I don't because, know either. Because the weird part of that is, is that the kid went from the car, car to, the house. to the house. Yeah. So were they even real? Mm-hmm. And it gets back to, this is one person now. And that's where you're always going to lose me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm in it to win it the whole way until I hear it's one person or one person got a group of people thinking of an idea of a certain topic. And that's where I always get lost. Mm-hmm. I always get lost with it. And that's even, you know, uh, I, I'm i like that with the UFO sightings. I'm mm-hmm. like that with it, you know. But when, you know, that UFO goes across the sky and there's 20, 30 calls and people are all... From all different areas. You know, different towns yep. and villages and, you know, all, all over a county or thing. cross counties and they see the same thing. That's that's relevant to me, which earlier, that's where I was saying, like, you know, if somebody got murdered in the street mm-hmm. and you got the one person just being an investigator, I mean, you're going to take that to a certain degree, but you want more witnesses. Yeah. You want five or six witnesses he that shot see it him all happening right there yeah right there <laughs> and he was wearing this color yeah. clothes and you got five people that say yeah they were wearing that he color was five clothes. eight to six eight <laughs> you know yeah no and and that's that's the stuff we need as humans and that's where i you know 
that's where I, I can kind of end this up for myself. It's weird how people can generate this, but also what, ge- what people need to believe it. Yeah. Like the two polar sides of the spectrum there are amazing to me. Mm-hmm. It just shows how crazy we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, because we have the, the one that can generate it and, and create this idea or produce this idea. And then there's the same species that's just sitting there and, you know, no. It's a question for you. Shoot. When I was working at the Cracker Barrel Mm -hmm. and I told you that it was haunted and you're like, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. They put in security cameras Mm -hmm. and they caught on the security camera the ghost walking through the store, walking through customers, like walking like their normal path, like doing their their well, routine. Then here's my big question is why isn't this stuff out? You know, like I hear people talk all the I time. This is like I said, the age of phones Yeah, where I hear people say, oh, yeah, you know, my my cupboards and stuff open and, and all yeah. this stuff. And it's, you know, maybe we need to do that. Maybe we need to be the like the group, you know, and I it's, don't want to be like the ghost hunter groups where I come in with the spectrograph and all that other crap. Right. Yeah. I no, just don't. That stuff drives me nuts. It's, it's like, stupid. You know. What I want to see is you walk in to the place that's haunted. Here's even more of it. I don't even really need to see it. If you went in there and you shot it with a phone. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty much 95% on board. Yeah. You know, but you just don't see that stuff. Yeah. And well, I mean, and here's the other thing. If you're if you're a business, if you're Cracker Barrel, are you going to say, hey, guys, do you want to see our ghost on our security footage? Or are you just going to be like. Well, we're going to delete that because we got to do today's security footage. Look at how much money they would make. You know? Yeah, but for as many people as would be stoked and interested in that, there's an equal number. Sometimes some might even say more people who are like, "No. If you even if you even suggest it or you even subscribe to it, they're like, so yeah, you're I not just... legitimate. Bye." Yeah, but that's where I'm getting at is, is like there's just no production of that, no production of it at all. Even just on, I would be a little more embrace of you know embracing of the idea on Facebook if people just started taking videos of this stuff. This is the shit that's going on in my house. Okay, you heard it, you guys. Know? That's your call to action. Yeah, no. Upload I... <laughs> your ghost videos, your ghost photos onto Facebook. Yeah. And call it Operation. Here you go, Frank. <laughs> hashtag. Hashtag. <here> you... <laughs> hash brown. Here you go, Frank. Send it to the internet. <laughs> and on that note, I think we'll call Ghosts a wrap. All right. Once again, folks, thank you for your support. Thank you for checking us out. We hope you stay. If you like what you hear, rate, review, subscribe. Yes. That subscribe button, that's huge. Subscribe and rating. Yep. Rating. Yep. That gets us... We're free. bumped up so that more people can see us. We're free everywhere except where it's not. Yep, exactly. That's uh I don't know where it's not. I but don't know where wherever it's, not, it's not, it's not free. Wherever it's not, it's not free. And um yes, we uh we just hope we can keep this going, which we will, even if we're the only two people listening <laughs> exactly, to this. Exactly, even if it's just us. Yeah, no. And uh um, So what do we got coming up, Frank? I believe witches is next, right? I believe so. Yes. Where I will be covering the older stories of witches. 
and I will be covering, covering modern witches. Yeah. And I think you might all be seeing a theme here. Where I cover old things because I like old things. Because you're old. I'm getting older. Yes. <laughs> um, we will soon be having a uh, Instagram account. Yeah. And uh, we have our Facebook group. We do. Oh, the horror, the podcast. And a very special shout out to the creative director whose birthday is tomorrow, Sunday, the 20th. At, well, you guys will be hearing this the, after that. Yeah. So he will be officially three years old. Three years old for Dean Winchester, creative director of yes. All the Horror Podcast. And he loves biscuits. Loves biscuits. So he'll be getting plenty of those tomorrow, and we'll be taking him to the dog park to visit his friends. So with that, um, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. And you can also listen to and learn more about our podcast by visiting our website at ohthehorrorpodcast.com. Thank you. Peace.